Just so don't get scared. Some people are thinking we're probably not going to open up the Bible. But um, we are going to open up the Bible. We're going, let's open up in prayer and then we're going to dive into what the Lord has for us to do on today. Lord, thank you, Lord God, for the truth of Jesus Christ. That is our passion. Lord God, thank you for him. Thank you for him being the, the ruler of things seen, unseen, and unseen. All things being held together by the word of his grace, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you for what you're doing in our generation. Thank you that, Lord God, there is not going to be a generation that passes by where the name of Jesus won't be mentioned and faithfully transmitted. So, Lord, this is the reason why we exist, God. We exist to glorify you and to enjoy you forever, Lord God. So today, we just want our stake at the table uh, among all of the tribes and nations that will be represented before the eternal table of nations where Jesus Christ marries his fiance, the church. Lord God, we want to be a part of those representatives and we want to see people laced with Jesus who in this culture, invade culture with that reality, however, are able to sit at that table, whether it's in a a, a language of another country or a slang tongue, Lord God. You said every tribe and nation will be giving you props eternally. So, Lord God, we just want to be a part of making sure of what you already want to make sure of, that everyone's represented as a bride of Christ. So, God, we pray in Jesus' name that you bless us in this time, give us clarity of thought, and help us to walk away with the nutrition of the Christian faith that you want us to walk away with. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Yo, if, if you have a seat on your row, if y'all can move into the centers, because I think we're out of chairs, I think. So, um, if you can move, there's, some, there's two up here, you can take our chairs. There are two up here. I think we have, some, if, if it's an empty chair in your, in your road, and you can move to the center. So I think we're out today. All right. Well, today um, is the first of, by God's grace, many, unless Jesus Christ returns. Um, today is the first annual State of the Church Address. Where every year, where every year, yes, yeah, okay to clap. Somebody say, woo. It's okay to clap. Okay, Okay, I'll say it again so we can make sure that that went like the people over here. Today is our first annual State of the Church address. Yeah, 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 yeah. College students, y'all can floss y'all collegeness. You know, the, some some of the you know some of us have gotten a little stuffy in our theology. So you're welcome to. Not that y'all don't have theology, but I'm just saying you can bring out your collegeness in the midst of this atmosphere, the festive atmosphere. We're excited about. The State of the Church Address. The State of the Church Address is every single year, Deuce and I are going to sit up here um, and begin to pontificate on several, several things. Um, But there are several reasons why we want to do it. Um, The first reason is um, where we've been. We want to walk through where we've been as a church, um, where we've come from, how did all of this come together. Um, Not only where we've been, but where we are, where we are, um, where we are. And that's both universal church, which means the global church and also the local church through Epiphany Fellowship, a particular community, and then uh, where we are going. Where, like, where are we going from here? What's, what's, the, what's the stake? What, what's at stake, and where, where are we going from, from here? 
Real quick, there are a lot of stats out here. My man George Bonner has a bunch of stats that we'd like to kind of drop weight on and just kind of go over as a way of introduction and beginning in his State of the Church piece from 06. He said, overall, how committed, these are some questions that he asked, how committed are you to the Christian faith? Are you absolutely committed to it, moderately committed to it, not too committed to it, or uh, not at all committed to it? And these were asked among, of course, people who describe themselves as Christians. Number one, absolutely committed, 54% of people said that they were committed. Moderately committed, 37% of people said that they were committed. Not too committed, uh, 6%. 2% said not committed. 1% said they don't even know. And so all of these stats that we're going to bring up are kind of to kind of let you know where the nation is, but then also where the Christian church is. Next thing is... Uh, uh, everyone is God. You know, what did they believe on theology? Some people, 4% of people said everyone is God. Another group of people said God is all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect creator of the universe who rules the world today. 71% of people polled in postmodern, post-Christian America um, um, that, that God is a perfect creator, creator of all things. Interesting. But we got to move on and see what the logistics of that statistic can kind of bring out for us. Y'all with us there? All right. Um, it says God refers uh, God uh, refers to the total uh, realization of personal human potential. In, all, in other words, God is our potential. God is our passions. Seven percent said that. Next, it says there are many gods, each with different uh, different power and authority. Two percent of people in America said that. But then God represents a, a, a state of higher consciousness that a person may reach. Only 8% of people said that. And he says, there is no such thing as God. Only 4% of people mark themselves as atheists. And this is a, these are Christian and non-Christian people in America. And then 4% said, another 4% said that they didn't know. But then it says, notice, though, that more than one quarter of all adults hold an alternative view of God. So that means 25% of most people uh, have an alternative view of God. Um, and, and not surprisingly, the, the younger a person is, the less orthodox their view of God tends to be based on um, this measure. So we're going to see in a minute what's the state of our gener the generation below 40 and, and, and how we need to attack that reality in light of these stats. Um, another one was the Bible is totally, when asked, the Bible is totally accurate in all of, uh, of the principles it teaches. Notice it said principles it teaches. I strongly agree, 48%. Agreed somewhat, 20%. 15% disagreed somewhat. Uh, disagreed strongly, 13%. 4%. So 52-plus percent people don't believe. We're not just talking about that the Bible doesn't have errors, but that the principles in the Bible can be extracted and utilized as viable means of developing through life. But then, check it out. It says, uh, you personally have a responsibility to tell other people uh, your religious beliefs. So what about missionization and evangelism? What is that? How do, how do most people feel about that in relation to their religious beliefs out of all of these people who make up different facets of spiritual beliefs? Uh, some say they strongly agree, 39%. Interesting. Um, agree somewhat, 16%. 18% uh, disagree somewhat. Uh, uh, 25% uh, uh, disagree strongly. And 
2% don't even know. 2% don't even know. So the majority of people, well over 50% of the people, don't necessarily think you need to even convey your faith. And this is whether you're Muslim, whether you're Christian, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're Hinduist, whether you're pan-Africanistic, whatever, whatever your religious affiliation or no religious affiliation, most people think you need to shut your mouth about it. But then, it, then he says, when, when, uh, when he lived on earth, that's Jesus Christ, was human and committed sins like other people. Check what people said. Agreed strongly, 23% of people said that he probably did commit sins. Agreed somewhat, 19% said he did. So it's already almost in the majority that most people think that Jesus Christ was just like everybody else, a sinner. Uh, uh, disagree somewhat. Um, so you say, ah, I disagree somewhat. So they're kind of on the line with this. Then you got disagree strongly, 42%. And then uh, don't know. Always got the don't know category. They just choose not to say anything. But then you cannot become a complete and mature person unless you belong to a community of faith that influences you. Check this out. 18% strongly agree. Now think about that. 18% of the people that said that they that there is a God, we believe that there is a God, that we believe that, um, uh, you know, about the principles of Scripture. They said only 18% of all these people that they polled said when you have a particular religious f- uh, uh, affiliation that you actually need to be around others who help nurture your development within that affiliation. And this includes Christians. So it's not just non-Christians in this 18%. Agree somewhat. Some people say, I agree somewhat. Others say disagree somewhat. Uh, uh, disagree strongly, um, don't worry. I mean, I mean, don't, don't know, uh, 3%. I, I did that backwards. Actually, the, the, the rest of it is, is, is the high percentage. I was, I was wrong on it. Agree, agree strongly is 18% said you need to do it. The rest of them basically said, yo, you don't necessarily need to be in a particular community of faith to be able to flesh out truth. Matter of fact, even when he listed under his little designations, Barna does, he even talks about the fact that this reflects an individualistic society that think that truth can be derived from being alone through meditation, through one's own personal preferences, um, through one building a collage of their belief system, and they only talk to, it, uh, talk to other people about it on a need-to-know basis, but everybody doesn't necessarily need to know. So most people in our society believe in an individualistic form of religion. Out of all of the people, that means individualistic just means by myself, Lone Ranger type stuff. But then it says three quarters of the evangelical population is over the age 40. And the evangelical population, thanks, thanks, Pastor Deuce, the evangelical population are those who specifically believe that the Bible is, he gave some, he gave some qualifications, the Bible is inerrant. Um, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, that Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% man, um, that believes in the church, that believes in the Trinity, all of those fundamental truths that we deem as a Christian doctrine that if you don't believe those things, you're not, that we wouldn't call that Christian. So he says 40, he says everybody, most of the Christian people in America are comprised, that's 75% of the people in America uh, that are Christians are above the age of 40. So that means 25% of the Christians out of the 20 million Christians in America, evangelical Christians, they're all types of Christians, but there are 20 million evangelical Christians in America, 20 million plus. 
25% of that, uh, of that 20 million are our age group. And so therefore there's a need, there's a need, and that leads us into the apologetic. That leads us into to the apologetic. I'm a particular community, chime in here, a, a particular community's purpose is to hear and translate the gospel in its specific setting so that the witness to Jesus Christ takes place. Mm-hmm. The witness to Jesus Christ takes place. So here we're beginning to build an apologetic, a reality of the fact that there's an intensive need for a particular community. There's what we call universal community. Say universal community. In other words, in the Christian faith, there is a universal community um, that, that around the world of people who call on the name of Jesus Christ who are going to spend eternity with us, bigging up our God. Okay? Okay? But then on a local level, in every city, in different aspects of the city, there's what's called particular community. Say particular community. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossia, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Philippi, there are particular communities. And within the framework of these particular communities, Ephesians chapter 4 says we're supposed to be unified in principle and in practice. And so because of the need within our generation, especially the 40 and under, there are need, there is a, there is a dying need to have specific, 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 particular communities that are passionate about translating the reality of Jesus Christ faithfully to the generation that's around them. And that's where we come in, and that's where we come in. Um, only reason why you hear me hesitating because it's different from yesterday. Oh, it's so. different from yesterday. Okay. So, no, no. So keep it going. I'm, I'm going to jump in. When gotcha, I gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, um, the particular mission, mission community is always involved in the discipline of becoming culturally bilingual, learning the language of faith and how to translate its story into the language of its context so that others may be drawn to become followers of Christ, of Christ. We're supposed to be bilingual. We're supposed to know kingdom language, say kingdom language, but we're also supposed to know cultural language, say cultural language. Yeah, if you don't know the cultural language, you can know all the kingdom language you want, but people won't understand it because you don't know their cultural language. And so now what needs to happen is the traditional church, which we're not going to slam the traditional church, but let's, 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 let's talk about what human tradition is human and we're going to dive into the scriptures but this is all a precursor to it tradition is something that was modern at one time that people grabbed a hold of and made a sacred cow and the way to universally convey god's truth in other words they got in other words if we start like say the hip-hop generation say we got stuck and you know um the the age goes back to where people wear suits where they wear ties and we still you know wearing baggy jeans and and timberlands and we're utilizing that like if you ain't a christian you better take off that tie because you know if you come in here you know that ain't the way tradition so tradition is something that gets stuck into the cultural matrix that it was engaging um the culture with with the gospel and made it a christian culture and made it a Christian culture. But if we're going to be what we're going to talk about a, a lot, missional Christians, what we're going to have to do is learn how to be bilingual. But the way to learn how to be bilingual, we're going to talk about it in a minute. We're going to talk about it in a minute. All right. Next, we're going to, we're going to kind of dive into 
um, several aspects of things. We're going to dive into three areas of ministry. Turn to your Bible um, uh, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Hold your finger over in Matthew chapter 16 and turn to Acts chapter 17. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. We're going to start with Acts 17. Um, In terms of this being a state of the church address, um, one of the things that it became clear is as we we sort of just hit the ground running in 2006, we just arbitrarily came up with, I mean, through prayer, but we arbitrarily came up with a time when we believed that we were going to come out of the huddle of a small group and we were going to basically present ourselves as a core group of believers like able for people to one to be visible and two to be joined that we wanted to grow as a community that developed the nutri- the nutrition of the faith and thereby became strong enough through us coming together to be able to plant others um, I got, you know, it, so sometimes it sort of frustrates me when I go around the country and I see Christianity on the move and then you spend time in your own, let's say, world seeing Christianity stagnant. Uh, you see people who are responsible for people's full development. Then you go and you hang around others who are just responsible for making people say, oh, get crunk. I mean, that's nice. But if that's all the Christianity ever produces in someone, then you get around somebody that made something. Somebody go, oh, Jesus is Jesus is the devil's twin brother. And then now they're talking about, nah, Jesus is God. That sort of rocks me more than you made me say, oh, you took me from being hostile to God to pro um, pro God. You took me from idols to uh, the living God. I like that kind of Christianity. So I wanted to be around people like that. And so what ended up happening was, as a state of the church, we were saying, man, doesn't it seem like when you sort of, if you're like me, you travel around these church circles, and sometimes you spend so much time in these circles where you never see the kind of stuff that you run into when you do your devotions. You look in your Bible and you see one thing, you look up and you see another, and no one seems to be saying, what in the world's going on here? But everybody, but we're still blossoming. So you're like, dang, but in our wrongness, it's working. So you find yourself just going with the flow. Well, uh, in Acts 17, it's a beautiful passage of someone who couldn't just allow what wasn't and what should be to just keep going on. Thus, this state of uh, the state of the church address. Uh, Look at Acts 17 uh, and let's start with um, verse 16. It says, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Some of your translations may have vexed or stirred within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Stop. One of the interesting things about this is this issue of a believer finding themselves in a context 
And what they see does something to their insides. If you find yourself in a context where all the wrong stuff is exalted above God, Paul says we tear down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anybody that thinks they know more than God, you you hate to hear their way being accepted. So we hate when evolution tricks people because that's that's something against the knowledge of God. God says he created the world. Some dude got our whole school system to say he didn't got all of National Geographic to assume God didn't. So I love National Geographic, but I hate when evolution and Mother Nature get the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. Well, that means, but if you can sit and not be provoked in your spirit, you'll never get up and spend your days reasoning. It says he, so he, after being provoked, that the city was full of not the impact of God, not the reign of God, but all these other things. So he started spending his days. It says every day he was reasoning. He would go to the synagogue, religious communities. He would go to the devout persons, people who are not Jews. But they just are good people and in the marketplace and he didn't go trying to lure people. He ministered to whoever happened to be there. And so we start this off by saying first you have to ask yourself as a particular or a, a, a individual Christian. Where do I find myself? Is it in the city? Is it in the suburbs? Is it on the west side? Is it in the east side? Is it among rock and rollers? Is it among skaters? Is it among hip hoppers? Is it among professionals? But wherever you find yourself, when you see idolatry, the exaltation of stuff that competes with God's desire to be Lord of all, you should be provoked. If you're not provoked in your spirit, you will do what we like. We believe first as a Christian, you hate that there is a gap. Between what God wants to see, which is the whole earth properly submitted to him and his way. You start to hate the gap. Then you sort of just see everybody else moving on. So you begin to get used to the gap. Before you know it, you get numb to the gap. Next thing, you just ignore the gap. And you just live life just anticipating there's going to be a gap. Come on, don't get, keep your shirt on. Don't get your shorts in a bunch or whatever the phrase is. Come on, Jesus will be back, let him fix it. But Christians who haven't gotten numb sit and they get mad because they're sitting at the bus stop and everybody's cursing like cursing is just okay. You're on the train and dudes are just rolling L's and blowing the smoke in your face and it's okay. Money, power, and sex are the idols of a music industry that's making millions. And, in, and, and Christians who are really doing music to the glory of God are always wondering how they're going to make ends meet. So it starts with a gap. And so we look here and we say, man, if we could just have people who are disturbed by the lack of God's reign showing up on your block, in your school, at work, around you, then you get upset and you start to do something about it. But as Mace, uh, Pastor Mace referenced, the only problem is you don't go into a war with a six shooter. You know what I'm saying? You don't be like, ah, oh, I'm so vexed at all of the war in Iraq. Let me handle this myself. Pack your nine millimeter, your Glock and go in there like, ah, pew, ah, pew. 
and they're sitting here like there's an army and you trying to go in. So that's when you team up with a not just any old body, but a particular community, because what God does is he sets up and establishes uh, particular communities scattered all over who know how to connect to broader communities all over. And we begin to synchronize our lives to be able to say, aren't you tired of the lack of? Aren't you tired of the fact that God isn't? Aren't you tired of the fact that we don't have? And then you begin to de- dedicate your life and your days to addressing the thing that's got you provoked. So that's the, that. That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, on, on the level of being provoked, one of the things that needs to happen is. We have to have the nutrition in us that causes us to be provoked. Um, you can't be provoked unless you've caught a glimpse of what God wants things to be like. Right. If you always dream about what you want things to be like, then the things that you come in contact with are going to be cool. But when God, when you've been smitten with Jesus Christ, smitten with his way of thinking, smitten with his way of doing things, and are provoked and vexed and weighted by a passion to see that reality, not just to be a complainer, to get in a holy corner to talk about how jacked up things are, but to be willing to be an agent of change within that that says, because God has been uh, plasting on my forehead and in my mind and in my heart and in my spirit, the reality of the reign of Jesus Christ. In other words, I don't see any commercials of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back in this context. And so what I want to do is I want to be a, a, a producer of commercials. A Christian is supposed to be a producer of kingdom commercials through both life and lips and through a community of people who acts as God's uh, production team, um, him as the director of showing you and directing particular communities of what the full picture of the eternal movie is going to look like. But God wants to develop people whose lives in relationship with him through Jesus Christ are clips. And when Paul walked into and when he walked into Athens, he did not see any of those clips. And because of that, the, the director was working in his heart to get a production started. So sorry. You might want to go back up. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The synchronization? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So, look, sorry, y'all. Yesterday we had this thing working. <laughs> Several things that, that we want to emphasize. Number one, Christology. Say Christology. Christology. We're not going to dive into these because those of you who go through membership are going to fall into being able to dive into these more deeply. Um, but Christology, we want to have a three-ring circle that we're going to utilize to integrate um, things that we've extracted from God's word. Now, up in, up in uh, Matthew 16, we see several things. Let's look at from verses 13 to verses 20. Verses 13 to verse 20. It says now, it says in verse 13, it says now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking the disciples, saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, uh, some say uh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We see um, this as the springboard for three things. First thing is Christology. And looking at Christology, Christology, it just asks one question. Who is Jesus Christ, and what was he sent to do? Who is Jesus Christ, and what was he sent to do? In Matthew, Jesus wanted to be clear on whether or not his disciples were clear on who he was. See, Jesus has three components of, in, in Scripture that flesh out the reality of who he is. Number one, who he was before he allowed himself to take on an additional nature by becoming a human. Then you have Jesus in the incarnation, but then you have Jesus in his exaltation. That's Christology in a nutshell. However, right here, he wants to see whether or not they understand, based on what he's told them about himself, do they understand who he is. And one of the keys to being able to fill in the gap, because everybody in here, whether we admit it or not, have gaps in our understanding, have gaps in our understanding of kingdom, have gaps in our understanding of Christ. So therefore, Christ is always asking the Christian, who do you say that I am? That's a very important thing because as we grow in the reality of, of who God has revealed Jesus Christ as in Scripture, it will, it will consummate and crystallize the reality of our ability to be provoked to do something about the gap. Yeah. To be provoked to do something about the gap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then from there is missiology. Say missiology. Missiology is, of course, the way in which God's people flesh out Jesus Christ in culture through engaging it with the gospel and being engaged themselves by the gospel. When you look into the passage, it talks about being sent. It's because in the B part of the verse, it says, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. In other words, the kingdom of Christ is coming. The, the, the kingdom of Christ that is here uh, uh, through the church is an onslaught. It's consistently moving forward. And it assumes that the gates of hell or hell's kingdom, a fallen world, uh, 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 the world of flesh and the devil, are going to attempt are going to attempt to, to, to lock us away and, and, and cause us not to be able to continue to push forward in what God has called us to do. So that's why we're called to be on mission with them, and that's called missiology. Mm -hmm. But then it has to be particularized. It's called ecclesiology. Say ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is now the study of the church, not just, not just government, not just little bits and pieces about information. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to redefine for people and take out of, based on a biblical format, the word church. I, I hate when people say, that's churchy, or you know church folk, or that's just church. Like, God never created the terminology of the assembly of his people to be used as a slang term for something that doesn't reflect them. Like when you say the word church most of the time, it mostly carries with it the baggage of fallen, jacked up communities that have not or walked in Christology nor have walked in missiology, therefore defining itself as another assembly, not the ecclesiological Christ-centered community. Are you with me? Now let me jump in. Yeah. Now, and look, so now check it. Remember, this is the state of the church address, right? What we're talking about, we're assuming that... 
whatever dysfunctions we're used to seeing and used to existing with should be now become a problem again. Because Jesus said, hell won't laugh last. He said, the reality of who Christ is, is the case. I mean, sometimes we know, that's why you always hear us bigging up Jesus Christ, uh, bigging up Jesus Christ, and we're going to get to Christocentrism in a minute. When we talk about highly about Jesus Christ, it's because that's God's passion, right? We come here, and so we try to sing about it, and we want everybody to engage in exalting Jesus. Uh, Sister Tiff is always up here, like, I mean, just trying to invoke the congregation to chime in, because the purpose is not for entertainment, but to lead us in chiming in about what God has said about Christ. The moment that, now because there's a gap, you spend your days doing something, going places to bridge the gap between what God wants and where our culture is. That's the missiology, right? But you do it in the context of a team, a team of people called the church. So Jesus is sitting up here and he's saying, Dad, I'm here for a reason, to convey who I am, to motivate people to imitate me when I leave by my power. I'm going to let them do what I've been doing while I was here. And all of them, some total, will be continuing to build what I've called my church, my assembled ones, the ones that I've called out. Now, how many people see the beauty of this picture? You see the beauty of the picture, and the reason why you got to see it is because nothing else for the Christian, really, all, everything else is peripheral. Mm-hmm. Now, I know we, 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 we're doing a lot of stuff because mm-hmm. we're in a very highly uh, industrialized society. I mean, back in a rural time, I mean, you, your life was the agriculture and your faith. I mean, it wasn't like us today where... You can do a billion and one things, and if you can't do it around your neighborhood, get on a train, go to somebody else's neighborhood. If it's not in your city, you can get on a plane and go somewhere else. Before you know it, there's no, there's no Disney World in Philly. You know what I mean? But I can get on a plane, Southwest, get me a nice fare. I'm at Disney World. You see what I'm saying? So, though we've got a lot of stuff going, now, bring it back to Epiphany. Epiphany Fellowship arose out of a bunch of people who used to complain a lot. We were provoked. We, all of us used to complain. We used to complain about two things, the state of the culture and our church experiences. Now, it's been many years since I've been part of the complaining committee. So somebody ought to look back at me like they have in past and say, what are you going to do about all these complaints? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in Bible college now. I'll get around to it. Well, all right, I mean, I'm in seminary now. You know, you got to, you know, that's the next step. I even postponed doctorate work because I saw this is a never-ending pattern. When it's time to do something you complained about, you re-enlist to something that's going to hinder you from doing something you've been complaining about. So I said, why get a doctorate and continue to have to complain about what I have to complain about? So started looking for other people who appreciate and will commit themselves to a proper Christology. Who do men say that I am? They had a whole bunch of wrong answers. You don't want to have the wrong answer about Jesus because when you die, you'll wake up and you'll see the right answer but be banned from it. That's hell. Then people who don't just sit and clap and love Jesus in a building but who spend their days fulfilling the mission of Jesus – 
So we started saying, yo, let's get together with people who have a right Christology or who will sit up under a right Christology, mm -hmm. who will engage in the missiology that God has sent his people on and not do it as just them and their two friends that love to tell everybody that Jesus is coming back. But in addition to them and their two friends, link up with a broader particular community to be a reflection of God who's building his ecclesia, his called out ones. Are y'all following us? Stay that with us. Stay with us. Provoked. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Christology, missiology, ecclesiology as a way to say, I'm tired of not just complaining. Let me rig my life to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what's beautiful is that, you know, this is not a, a linear format. In other words, just a straight down the line. In other words, these 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 ologies influence one another. So you don't Christology doesn't sit by itself. Missology, because you can talk about Christology, but not be on mission. See, and you can talk about Christology and not be in a church. You can talk about the, you can talk about the church, but don't talk about Jesus, or be in the church and don't talk about Jesus. You could be in a church and not do mission. You could be out on mission, 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 but never mention Jesus, and never know who He is. You can mission, 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 and not even be involved in a local particular community. But what we, what we want to do is invade one another with one another. So what we want to do is we want to have a Christological missiology. We want to have a Christological missiology. In other words, in this passage, you see the mixture and the cross-pollination of each. Um, I remember Eddie Gibbs, he rocked me. I mean, he ro I, I got to get to it when I get to Ecclesiology, though. I want to tell that part. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, the over and the abundance fan. <laughs> he, he told me not to be too long. He said I'm no, long. No, no, it's just, you know, because the Compact unpacking, because we want to unpack every point that we have for the people uh, poignantly <laughs> and purposefully, but we can't because we're you, punctual. I got you. I got you. Thank, right. thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. All right. A, a Christological missiology means that your mission is influenced by Christ and who Jesus Christ is who influences you to be on mission. Absolutely. Got to have both. Not only that, but you have to have a Christological ecclesiology. Mm -hmm. In other words, who Jesus Christ is demands that you're in a community with other people who know who Jesus Christ is. But then you all are also uh, fleshing that reality out through missiological ecclesiology. So what you want to do is you want to be uh, on mission with God, but not outside of a community that holds you accountable. But you got to be a Christo ecclesial missiology. In other words, <laughs> you got to have all three together. Jesus in this passage demands something. Now, most people I know, y'all not going to get past the fact that we're not going to exegete verse 19. Let's just real quick talk about verse 19. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, I mean, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the realized reign of God unveiled through his, through his covenant people. But then it says, and whatever you shall bind on earth uh, shall be bound in heaven. That word bind and bound can be uh, translated to announce, to announce. What we're supposed to do is to announce what God has already binded and what he's already loosed. And so through the proclamation of the gospel, we announce that reality and God by his power looses it. And he binds it. But like most people try to bind Satan. But the Bible says that he's running the earth seeking who he may devour. 
So the Satan is like going on an escapade to find people to like he's like, I bind you, Satan. Like he, he like, OK, I'll get out the cage. Like Satan's not bound. However, the church, we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do in relation to this and continue to announce the reign of God through binding and loosing that finds itself in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through being a Christo ecclesial and having a missiology. Amen. It's good. It's good. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Now, 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 the prerequisite, the prerequisite, the prerequisite. Knowing God's way of thinking um, and, no, and, and doing things and what that looks like when it's applied. Knowing the state of the surrounding cultures that you find yourself in and how unapplied God's rule is in, to that context. Uh, provoked by the gap, then the problem. Okay, of course we're provoked. We talked about that. But then we must first hate the gap. Of course, get used, uh, because people get used to the gap, but then talking about becoming numb to the gap and then ignore the gap. But now a brief history, a brief history, the ripeness of Philly. Yeah. Um, I really sort of um, already alluded to this. Remember, again, state of the church. Um, again, why we are here. And some people think taking a stab at this church thing. <laughs> We're not taking a stab at the church thing. We're trying to show you that this was the natural produce of being provoked by the gap uh, and seeing how God wants to um, minister in the gap. The ripeness of Philly, um, you know, we were looking at the idea that, of course, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. There's enough sinners and there's enough gap and there's enough to provoke anybody who has God's heart to make you want to, like, say, dang, things are messed up. Now, the question is, what makes an area jump out to you as being ripe for your contribution? Everyone here must do a survey, and we pray that after today you will go home, and if you're, you know, if you're engaged or if you're married, you'll link up with who you plan to be with forever and you're going to be with forever, and you ask, man, are we in the place that will best um, provide us the, the, the soil for our contribution. We, uh, I remember feeling that Philly was ripe for a number of reasons that I don't have time to go into, but I, I can remember seeing Philly from the eyes of a missiologist and saying, look at all these dudes with these perfect shape-ups. Look at all these cats with these baggies and these book bags on. Look at these professionals who, you know what I'm saying, go to and fro. I remember looking and saying, dang, like, I could be probably the cat that bugs them out when I start cracking open who Jesus is. Can you imagine Philly knowing me? I, and I'm not for self-glory. I was like, they, like Philly knowing uh, a man named William Branch for his introduction or his unpacking God and his ways to them. I'll do it through rap, and but I don't want to just do it through rap. Like I want to like be in a class sometimes and do it through a classroom setting. I want to just be in a star. Well, back in then was no Starbucks like that, but. Uh, I want to just be up, you know, Denny's or Ab or wherever. That's, you know, that was what we were doing back then. And um, I, so I felt like Philly was ripe to see ambassadors, especially ambassadors who were the three circle integration, Christological, Missiological, Ecclesiological. So uh, first it was the ripeness. Uh, and then it was this 
feeling this determination to be a part of God, what God's doing. Y'all remember The Incredibles? Y'all saw The Incredibles, right? Uh, the Incredibles, remember how it opens up? It's this little kid who wants to be involved in the same work that Mr. Incredible's doing. I mean, he demanded it. He dressed like he needed to dress to be in, in it. He jumped in the car when he wasn't invited. He showed up at the crime scene when he wasn't. I mean, this dude, Buddy, was determined he was going to be Incredible Boy, right? That's how I was with what the Lord Jesus, Mr. Incredible, was doing. I was determined to be a part of what he's doing. Yeah, I didn't yeah, want to yeah, just yeah. stand back and just see... Uh, what he was doing, I, like, yo, and I, look, when I first started, right, I thought you had to dress up like a churchy person, so I was willing to do that. I went to Bible colleges where they said, you know, you're not going to be able to dress like that. That's okay. I just want to be a part of what God's doing. They had to, you know, you couldn't rock your hair a certain way. That's all right. I just want to be a part of what God's doing. I was willing to change my dress, my friends. I left from the gully, gully, gully streets to go to an all-white Bible college, Philadelphia College of Bible, now PBU, big ups. And I was there chilling. People like, how you making it? Yo, I'm just happy to be a part of what God's doing. I stayed in my room and I did my work because I wanted to be a part of what God's doing. So I was determined. Don't leave me on the sidelines. You have to be determined. There's plenty of there's plenty of opportunity for you to stay out the picture. But there's also an invitation to be a part. You must be determined. Amen. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Flat, flat. Mm -hmm. Oh, you can't jump in here like I can. The grace to reach hip-hop. Now I began to notice, though, there's something uniquely about the way I've been crafted in a city that at that time I saw being taken over by hip-hop. Um, you know, and we're in an era where everybody, every urban center in America is, has had to come to grips with hip-hop's entrance. I remember when you, I used to shop at Marshall's and Ross's, and you spent I don't know how long looking for something you liked. Then I remember when... I mean, everywhere you turned, it was Urban Gear and the Marshalls and the Rosses. And so I remember seeing hip-hop moving. I said, man, I got the grace to reach them. Romans 15, 15, Paul talks about, I got the grace to reach Gentiles. There's a lot of things if you do a study about what made Paul view God had graced him to reach Gentiles when he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, here you got a dude that's as Hebrew as all get out, yet he says, I got the supernatural power to be successful among Jew Gentiles. And you know, Hebrews and Gentiles used to hate each other. So much so that Paul had to step to Peter when Peter started going back to the old way. Make a long story short, when it comes to hip-hop, some people in the church hate hip-hoppers, hate the, when hip-hop is even in the picture. Hate even the Christian who still got hip-hop showing up. I saw a grace to reach them, not only by my indigenous uh, identification with them, but just my success in doing it. God has testified to that by put, having me a part of a group, um, and that became what we were known for, grace to reach the hip-hop. But then, if, any, if anybody knows me, I also saw this grace to reach beyond it. A lot of people bug when they see our diverse crowd, because they know me from the hip-hop days, and they come to church, and they see all these people who may or may not be into hip-hop. That's because I never liked to be, never wanted to be, and never saw the grace confined to hip-hop, which is why we didn't want to do a hip-hop church, because we have the grace to reach hip-hop, but we have the grace to reach beyond it. Paul said, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I've been preaching Christ. I've just been all over the place preaching Christ. I go to the synagogue where there's a lot of Jews. I go to the marketplace where there's a lot of Gentiles, I, and I have success in both places. Um, so Epiphany arised out of a sense of Philly's ripe, 
out of a sense of a determination to be a part of the mission and out of a sense of and plus I got great. And I know a lot of people who got the grace to reach hip hop, but reach beyond it. We're not going to just be your entertainers. We're going to be your missiologists who are ecclesial and Christological. And if you are here today feeling a grace to buckle down and join with some people on in this type of thing, it's no wonder that God has you in our midst. So then that brings us to, you know, what kind of. What kind of church do we want to see? Turn over to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We'll start at probably verse 41. And this is where we kind of, in this uh, descriptive passage, find uh, prescriptions for Christian nutrition. Um, Verse 41, it says, it says, So then those who had received his word, that was Peter was preaching, were baptized, and there were uh, added that day about 3,000 souls. It says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Mm. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so as we were dreaming, uh, as we were dreaming about um, what God wanted to bring into fruition, we didn't want to bring something different into fruition. People are like, we're not trying to be different. Different can be dangerous. Um, we, we, we're not trying to be different. We're trying to be faithful. We recognize that we are connected with, a, with God's history of redemption, of communities and clusters of people that he's rallied together to represent his reign. And now God has injected us in 2007 on to be a part of that universal community that's been screaming the reign of God. And in screaming the reality of the reign of God, there's a nutrition. There are minerals and vitamins that each community God wanted them to be injected with. And what we did was we did a survey. And out of that survey, we found in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, a a, a multivitamin pill that we could kind of utilize to extract values that God has always been emphasizing through, through people ever since before the fall when he called Adam and Eve to go and populate the earth with urban communities of people who subdue every aspect of life comprehensively. But then the fall came, people kept subduing life, every aspect of it, but without God's nutrition. So because of that, God had to bring into existence redemption. And he had to invade with redemption in order, while people were subduing the earth, populating the earth, that the population was injected with the reality of his reign. Mm-hmm. And there comes different groups of people. And on this day was born the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The community that will marry Jesus. 
And here we begin to see nutrition. These nutrition go as follows. Our mission statement as a church is showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life. Say it with me. Showing off the glory of Christ in every area of life through Christocentrism, commitment, community, communion, conversions, and culturally relevant ministry. Very, very. We believe that these are some, 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 some nutrition that we can utilize. Like we don't want to just be wandering all over the place. We want to specifically, we want to specifically see by the grace of God how we're keeping measure that we're doing things based on how God keeps score. Like a lot of times we keep score differently from God. That's because a lot of times we're playing a different game under a different genre than him. But God says, if you're going to play on my playing field, you're going to play in my game. Therefore, you, you got to know what out of bounds is. You got to know what a foul is. You got to know, you got to know all of those aspects of it. But what I want you to know is how, how to win. And when you know how to win because I've already won the fight for you, now you got to know how I keep scoring in the midst of that. You know, I like, um, like complicated stuff like gymnastics and skating on an international level, like on a world stage. You know, sometimes like we'll see somebody kill it. Like what's your boy's name? Is it Scott Hamilton that does the backflips? Is, is it Scott? No, Scott. He skates? Yeah, he's Scott Hamilton, right? Scott Hamilton. Now that he's not, he's not, uh, he's not uh, competing anymore. He razzles and dazzles me. He does flips and splits, and you know what I mean. <laughs> but none of that will win him a gold medal in competition. But I don't know that because when I look, I'm razzled and dazzled off the dude's tricks. But the on the like on the world stage when you're in com- in competition. There's all these little technical things that judges are looking for that we, A, may not even appreciate. B, we wouldn't know if they did them or not. At least I didn't. Oh, they missed the triple toe. The compass on the, oh, man, that's going to be big. That's a tenth of a deduction. Tenth of a deduction. Oh, they didn't come completely around. And they're whispering all these things that if you know skate language, you know, oh, they didn't do it. So they say, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be like, that they killed it. And they'll get low marks. Because the judges are looking for something different. Somebody else don't even like rock you as much. And they were like, oh, man, I can't believe it, they won. And you're like, how'd they win? They didn't even do a backflip. <laughs> but that's because we're judging on the wrong things. There's a lot of Christianity that's going on today that will razzle and dazzle you. There's a lot of Christianity that packs the house out. There's a lot of Christianity that is growing and still growing, buying new property and filling and more filling. But when God looks down, it's missing all of these things that have now become like, who cares? Stop judging. So what? That's not the case. You don't know how God called them to do it. We're telling you that the th- there are some things that God's called every single community to do. And when you leave it out, you'll get low marks when he judges. You see what I'm saying? So that's why as we are building, we want to make sure even though it doesn't get the numbers like the when you cheat or when you just do razzly dazzly stuff. And even though it makes it harder for people to walk, it makes it harder for people to commit because you're instilling the values that are harder to do. But who's judging? So as we go through these, these are what we believe core. There are other values but these, let's not miss, these are core values that if these stop showing up in our mix, you best believe we may grow and you may like it and your friends might like us, but God is deducting points. So let's, let's, let's keep it moving.
Christocentrism. Epiphany Fellowship will encourage and stress the need to emphasize the centrality of Jesus Christ and the uniqueness of him as both fully God and fully man, um, with whom we worship and take our P's and Q's from. So in Colossians chapter 1, in Colossians chapter 1, you begin to see a vast layout of Jesus Christ and how Paul even attempts to focus the Colossian Christians in on the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 15, he says, a matter of fact, verse 13, he says, For he, that's Jesus, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption um, uh, the, the, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him... All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. So since we believe that the church is one of those things that are created by him and for him, since we believe that we are created by him and for him, then we believe that the first and foremost core value needs to be Christocentrism. Everything centralized and housed in the person of Jesus Christ. And quickly, don't forget, you can have a whole service and skip over Jesus. You can read a whole Bible and miss Jesus. Like, there are people who do that. And there are, there are many Christians who dive into things that are supposedly for Jesus. Jesus is marginalized in those things, and they don't understand why that's a problem. That's because he's not just in it. He's supposed to be central to it. Jesus can be the cherry on top, or he could be the Sunday. And so we don't want people who just garnish with Jesus. We want people who make him the main course, and then all the other stuff becomes garnished. So for us, you'll hear his name a lot. We will we will focus on him and you won't be able to say that you went to a church and didn't recognize that Jesus was the big deal that God, the father, uh, God, the son, God, the spirit. Like he's who heaven is focusing everyone's attention. Even Jesus, when he left. Now, there's a Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. They're all one. Stay with us. And if these things are hard for you, if you keep coming and walking with us, you'll learn these things. But but Jesus says, when I leave, the, another like me is coming, the spirit, and he will speak about me. Right. He'll make a big deal. Because so during that era where God the Father wants Jesus getting a lot of spotlight. And, and, and they're not, like the spirit is not, why do I got to talk about him? I'm God too. <laughs> <sighs> like the, the God, they're not envious. So when we center on Christ, you'll know why. And Jesus is not just the center. Absolutely. He's not just the center. Jesus is not just like the planets orbit the sun. See, Jesus is not just like the sun, the center. He invades everything that orbits him. Think about that. He's not just the foundation, and he's not just the cornerstone. But he wants to be in all and through all. That means that Jesus Christ in our terms, is a little selfish. And the Father likes and approves of his selfishness. The Father likes it when everything from the rooter to the tutor, some of y'all remember that from a... <laughs> is concentrated on Jesus. I like, I like orange juice. I love orange juice. I like concentrated... I don't like concentrated orange juice. I like non-concentrated orange juice. 
But what's banging about concentrated orange juice is it still has all of the nutrition of unconcentrated orange juice. So that's what our lives are supposed to be like, Mm -hmm. concentrated Mm -hmm. with the nutrition of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. None of that commitment, commitment. Ooh, commitment. Oh, that's a curse word. Epiphany. (laughs) Epiphany fellowship will be committed to the teaching and application of apostolic. That's the doctrine taught by the apostles. By making disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to see Christ formed in the lives of the body. Um, so when you look in Acts chapter 42, I mean Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it says, And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's where we get the idea of commitment from. Commitment not just to programs, but commitment to the scriptures that, that were handed down, uh, that were spoken through the prophets, and that were handed down from Jesus to the apostles. And while they were writing, the Spirit of God brought back in remembrance all of the things that Jesus Christ taught them. And then they wrote, and then the disciples of the apostles were able to write different books like, uh, that, that, that are in the New Testament, i.e., um, you have a Luke in, in, in the New Testament. And so therefore, we take our P's and Q's, from Jesus, and we believe that Jesus makes his P's and Q's clear in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So if a person, see, you're not going to like us if you, if, if, if you don't like your mindset being tweaked. Like if you, if, you, if you don't like people saying, ah, that's a good idea, but not a God idea. See, see, you have to be, see, being committed to that means that you're willing to forego your dreams to know what God is committed to. And realigning your life to that which is close to God's heart, and it's based on the Bible. It's based on what he's done. God isn't devoted to our dreams. God is not devoted to our vision. He's devoted to his own heart. He's devoted to himself. He's devoted to Jesus. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is devoted to Jesus. So when Jesus is mentioned contextually based on the scripture, the Holy Spirit sniffs it out and he invades the mist in order to bring what he brings to the mix. And that's for our ability to understand the teaching. When you look at John chapter 2, it's, I mean, when you look at 1 John chapter 2, it says, for you have the anointing. Well, ain't no anointing coming from heaven. Anointing fall on me. Well, at salvation, the, you receive the anointing. What is the anointing? The spirit presence of the Spirit of God within your life, listen, that gives you the ability to understand what God is devoted to, and that's the apostles' teaching. Mm-hmm. Community, communion, commun- I mean community. Epiphany Fellowship will seek to build a, re- uh, a healthy community by which believers may fellowship with other believers with Christ at the center. When you look at the verse, it says, verse 42 and 44 says it. Says it. it says, and, uh, and they were devoting themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching, and they were devoting themselves to fellowship. Koinonia, say koinonia. Koinonia, koinonia m- means partnership or sharing, having a particular thing in common in a group of people together. And this particularly points to being in relationship with Jesus Christ and committed to his truth. We're going we're gonna to unpack these more and more as we go along, but you're going to hear us emphasizing community, and, and, and we're going to flesh it out as we talk about well, some things that's coming in the future. Um, we believe that we are the church, that is, we are a community of God's people called and set apart for witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. We are blessed to be a blessing. As the Father has sent Christ, so Christ sends us. Jesus has defined us as his witness where we are. We believe, therefore, that the Holy Spirit not only calls us, but also enables us and gifts us for that mission, our task is to determine the particular focus and direction of our mission. We are to identify 
the, the charismas or, or, or the gifts given us by the Spirit for mission. We have the responsibility and the capacity through the Holy Spirit to shape ourselves for, the, for this faithful witness. I love that book. Some of the leaders here, you're going to get a copy of that book. Leaders, so don't be, can I get a copy of that? Leaders. Epiphany Fellowship, Communion. They said that they were breaking bread on a regular basis. That points to just the celebration of the Lord's death. So Epiphany Fellowship will seek to observe the Lord's death on every occasion we assemble. We will also commit ourselves to a comprehensive lifestyle of worship. Breaking the bread is, a, is symbolic of worship of Christ. Therefore, our lives are supposed to comprehensively reflect that reality like it talks about in John chapter 4. The true worshipers of God shall worship him in spirit and what? Truth. Truth. Right. Conversions. Conversions. Epiphany Fellowship will seek to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ through missions and evangelism. The hope is that missionality, ministry, and mercy will engage unbelievers with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as found in the gospel. And so what you're going to see as we talk about conversions, it's not just people making a profession of faith. But we believe, the Bible says, um, uh, 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 quote, quote for us 2 Corinthians 5.17, what does it say? Uh-huh. A man is what? Uh-huh. It can be translated, all things are being made new. In other words, a process. So conversion is not just an event, it's a process. Because even when you trust Christ, you're continuously being converted. And so one of our core values is, of course, people coming into missional relationships with us in order that we may introduce them to Jesus, but also through discipleship and development to continuously be um, um, developed to become uh, to, uh, that missionality, ministry, and mercy. And we'll talk about all of these terms, unpack them, give you something to put in your pocketbook as a 10-cent word, but something to use as application for God's truth. Finally, culturally relevant ministry, like being relevant is relevant is like a buzzword. Buzzword. We don't utilize relevance as a buzzword. We utilize relevance because we believe it's, it, it's what God has called us to do. I like the way it says in, um, in Chronicles, uh, uh, First Chronicles 12.32, it says, For the sons of Issachar were men who knew the times and knew what to do about them. Yada banach is a term used there. Two words, yada and banach. Yada is the word that's used for intimate knowledge of something. Not just gathering the information of it, but intimate, relational, impactful knowledge. Banach means to understand. It takes two words and turns into one to talk about the potency and the depth by which the sons of Issachar understood God's truth and understood um, the culture that they were in. And so what we want to do is we want to have that level of potency in how we relate and relate the gospel faithfully in our generation. 1 Corinthians 9, same thing, same same reality. Paul's, Paul, Paul takes into uh, uh, takes into account his need to be culturally relevant, but he doesn't love relevance more than he loves Jesus. All right, all right, all right. Now, now we move to some of the stuff that we're going to be into this year. We're going to move into what we're going to be doing this year. Next month, next month, we're going to be um, doing what's called a covenant community, covenant community or membership. We don't, uh, membership is a word that has some trappings, but we're going to still utilize the term. But we're going to focus on it being covenant community. Now is the time where we're, we're calling people. You can still come to our gatherings, all of that. But now we're calling people to do more than just come to gatherings. We're believing that God wants us to be accountable in particular community. 
And the way we believe that that's done is through covenant commitment to people to say, I'll let you, I'll lay you open in my life to allow you to ask me questions. Because listen, let me tell you something. When you become a Christian, there's no such thing anymore as my business, your business. Christians have the right to ask you whatever question they want to ask you as long as it doesn't have to uh, do with the, resp- the, the restroom or your marital bed. But Christians have the ability to ask you about any aspect of your life. And so what we want to do is not just have people that are attending, liking messages, like, like that's good, but God has called us to more than that. And so we're called to hold one another accountable in an accountable relationship through covenant commitment and through community. Let me say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, um, set your timers. I know it's, it's been a long. Um, now we're like all of that was prefaced saying that a mindset has to be adopted. Um, and now we're getting ready to talk about we know that people are just going to come. And Jesus' life always crowds. But he zeroed in on people who were in a relationship with him, which is different. So what we're trying to say is we're, we, we're about to move. We feel like this year was a good time to now say, is there anyone who wants to link up? Is there anyone who wants to do more than what many people are going to do? And that is, every time I'm in town, I come and check y'all out. Every now and then, I come and see what y'all are doing. I, man, I love coming here. I brought my friend here one time. Like, we, th- that's going to happen, and you're welcome to continue. But if we're going to really be uh, on mission and do all the things we were talking about, we need to know who is going to move beyond that and link up and commit to those, val- those, those core vitamins as a particular community doing this. So that's this right now. State of the churches, you know where things are in, in, in general. You know where it, why Epiphany is seeking to get involved in closing the gap. And you know the foundation and the, that, we're, that we're built on. Now we're looking for who's, who, who wants to do this together. And it, so that's what this part is, and we're coming in for a landing. So um, retweak your brains and, and say, okay, it's not going to be much longer. <laughs> All right. Now, this is what it looks like to, to do this. This is what we call next month we're going to start, and we'll have it announced in a few weeks. But next month we're going to start our, 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 our covenant community development, which is going to be 8 to 12 weeks, and we're going through fundamental Bible doctrines, understanding of the gospel, all, all of the stuff that we've been talking about unpacking is going to be unpacked. You can ask questions, and, and, and the whole nine, it's going, to be, it's going to be a banging experience, but it's also not just going to be an information dump, but it's going to be a, a, a good place in which you can get to know and develop with people that God has called you into community with. Mm-hmm. Um, so you gotta, you're going to have to embrace the vision, the values, and the strategy of Epiphany Fellowship. That mean, and you're going to have to sign off on it. We're going to prick your finger, and when the blood comes out of it, we're going to have you sign your name in blood on the joint. <laughs> but um, you've got to embrace the vision, mission, and core values. Um, that, that means that you don't just say, I believe in it. That means you're committing your life to it. Um, then participate in public and private gatherings. In other words, we're not going to forsake the assembly of one another together. Like We're not going to tolerate. If you are a covenant member of Epiphany, we're not going to tolerate isolation. It's not tolerated. You have no right to be by yourself. God putting gifts in you. You have no right to be alone and walk the Christian. People need you and you need us. And we have no right to be off in a corner 
backed up by ourselves in our misery. No, we need to begin to collaborate in kingdom initiatives together because God has called us. The Bible says that we are members of one another. So we got to participate not just in the Sunday gathering, even though we believe in the Sunday gathering and want you here, but also men's and women's community and just organic hanging out, chilling, where you get to know one another so you can trust what you share with somebody. But then pray. Pray for the ministry regularly and one another. Pray. So you got to embrace the mission, vision, and values, participate um, in public and private gatherings, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray. We believe, look, we, uh, I, I, my, since we've been playing this church, my prayer life has been revolutionized. Like, I remember, I, I, I realized how compartmentalized my prayer life has been and how unkingdom my prayer has been. God has, made, God has shown me more and more how big he is, and then he's shown me how much he loves uh, his people. And so because of that, we, we need to commit to prayer. We need to commit to prayer. Not only that, serve faithfully in some capacity. We're going to show you outlets of that. Not only that, to give financially. To give financially. <laughs> to give financially. Praise God, hallelujah, amen. So we want to do all of these things and gather others, gather others. And this is where we talk about the aspect of missional relationships. We're supposed to gather displaced believers. We're not supposed to go and tell people to leave other churches. Like we're not, we're not, we're not desperate for people. So we say, you come over here because this church is better. Um, but what, we, what we're talking about is displaced believers who have no place of resident in relation to a particular community to chop it up with. But then also unbelievers, gathering them in also. So the, if, you, if you're going to be a part of this community, um, this is what we ask that you commit to. But then finally, as we, as we close things down, we, we're, going, we're going to have a multitude, chime in, missional outlets, missional outlets that you're going to be able to utilize as an outlet to learn and develop and be, and be able to engage in the um, with the gospel in the community. And so, First Friday Fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. First Friday Fundamentals? How many of y'all been to First Fridays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shah's been leading us in that effort, been doing a banging job. And what we want to do is we, we, we're developing a team that can continue uh, to help First Fridays to be all that God wants it to be, but also more and more for the college-age crowd. First Fridays is really built for the college-age crowd, and so we're looking, we're looking forward to seeing how God fleshed that reality out as, as we um, launch more and more depth in this new year. So that's going to be a missional outlet, and you can invite unbelievers to it. Um, 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 from the concert to the classroom to the corner, um, we're going to do that again this year. Um, we, we had, uh, throughout that day, 2,000-plus uh, people come through. We're going to add components to it, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to need a team that we're going to put together that's going to be locked in to be able to help that thing take place. Man-to-man, that's our men's time on, on Wednesday nights. Um, men, men, we're going to do on first and, and, and uh, third weeks, we're going to be in Godly Man's Picture by Thomas Watson, um, 400-year-old book, but on second and fourth Wednesdays, we will do service projects throughout the community. We'll be, we'll be engaging um, from, from different gyms, the Y, uh, Hank's Gym, um, feeding the homeless, all types of different activities, and sharing our faith and building with different people around the area and utilizing that so that we can see visible, manly men who have testosterone but are driven by the, the glory of Jesus Christ. If we talk about manly dudes, men... Men, men, we emphasize men, man, 
know what I'm saying? Like, you know, no, no, no feathers and wind allowed. Men. Amen. <laughs> Street corner ciphers. Chop that up for us. Yeah, uh, and remember, these are just initial things that just get us around each other on mission, ideas. And as people become more involved in being part of the strategizing, these, these things that we do will, uh, will expand, take different twists. We don't know what's out there, but we have a lot of MCs out here, um, and we believe that one of the things that naturally uh, plays in with our own natural bents and a great opportunity uh, to missionally engage is what you know street corner ciphers just a lot of MCs in here boom box or however we're going to do it uh, uh, a video camera out there that not only to capture the moment but also to arouse the intrigue and just put some dudes out on the block let them do their thing attract people pass tracks out as they come and really just so like we can almost see it uh just just seeing people just gathered on these on the on the block just surrounded hearing our different mindset and uh i believe i've always been an advocate of the the use of the mc as one of the the greatest street tools um that we have uh, you know that the church has at its disposal so being that this is Epiphany Fellowship, we'd be remiss if we didn't utilize the MC as one of the key evangelistic tools uh, as we outreach. So um, there'll be those as well. Other missional outlets, uh, uh, contextual tracks, contextual yeah. tracks. Go ahead. Yeah. That, uh, also with that, again, everybody needs something to be involved. And I, I was talking with a young man who was like, yo, I just don't have any friends. I don't have any this. I don't have any that. And, 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 and one of the things is... It's possible for you, like, if you don't need somebody, like, if you're not, sometimes we have to be forced to be together, and then we realize we really do, like, I can't be without you. Um, but, like, some of you, you don't rap, you don't do, but, like, just literary. I mean, you like to write or you have graphic skills. We would like to see, you know, a, a community of believers come together and, and, and create tracks that are contextualized for urban settings. Uh, you know, when I was part of a, a cross-movement ministries, uh, we that was one of the things that we had on tap, um, but just just uh, we can see in here, you know, a lot of people with literary and graphic skills. Uh, they could just sit down and form a team of people who meet, go down to a Starbucks and just say, "Man, what, what, you know, let's let's think of some banging graphic ideas, you know, for our tracks, and then catchy little statements that we can make, and then fill it, you know, link up with others who know the scriptures and and understand the gospel to load those tracks up with." Uh, news about the kingdom uh, and and then that'll be the stuff that we take out and that we mass produce and that we're using so it'll it'll be birthed out of you know the things that you know those who are part of the community do but it'll be stuff and who knows other churches may say can we use that track and before you know it we're helping people all over so we want to do that through literary tracks the kind of that you put, pass out this paper as well as musical we did something also as a ministry called the track where we basically put together evangelistic jams and conversations we want to continue to use that, but I mean, like music is changing so much. We would love it if people put their heads together and we came up with musical explanations of the gospel, and then we mass produce that and we put it in your hands. And as you're out on the block, you're like, "Well, here, listen to this." So that's another uh, strategy that we have that we think will give you an opportunity to flesh out your discuss with the gap, but then do something about it. 
Also, YouTube, you know, that's a big thing where everybody just gathers around and say, hey, come and look at this. Um, and um, since, like, that, before you know it, you can have, like, 30,000 hits or more, you know, just looking at something interesting. And uh, so, I mean, some of y'all, you have video skills. You, you know, you're good with a camera or you're good. Yo, can you imagine linking up with a, just finding some people who want to create? I mean, it could be skits. It could be. I mean, some MC in the booth, something where you throw it up on YouTube and the whole world will get a chance or an opportunity to hear or see whatever little production you make. So it would be dope to see a lot of people come up with things that are worth putting up in video form, um, but that inject nutrition, not just, hey, watch me, you know what I'm saying, go cross-eyed and, you know what I'm saying, show you that I'm double-jointed. I mean, that's nice, but what we're talking about is people who strategize on how to make a concise statement of truth about God and his kingdom um, that represents the heart of God, and then we throw it up there. Like a dude spitting a hot 16 about Jesus Christ, and you know what I mean? Or somebody else doing a spoken word you know, via video camera, or something creative like skits and comedy that's, you know, that's theocentric. So uh, that's another thing. We, we want to take advantage of YouTube right now and everybody's uh, love of those things. Yeah, even um, early morning and afternoon giveaways, just giving out hot chocolate, tea to people in traffic, hot, just real uh, things that blitz that kind of let people know that, you know, we're here and that there is a community of faith that's concerned about this area and to just develop visibility and to develop uh, biblical visibility. We're going to continue to give away 15% of what comes in. Um, what comes in from the congregation, we're, we're supported.